Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attack those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said, fight. You can't fight. He said, withstand. You can't withstand. He said, stand. What does it mean to stand? He said, don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I, I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we've got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it fast for us, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. Hey, we're glad that you're here for another episode. And my uh, trusty um, co-host is not here today. Um, something about six kids um, and throwing up. So <laughs> they were able to uh, go on a family vacation last week, which was awesome. His parents drove in from California. His brother and sister-in-law and their two children flew in from California. His sister, brother-in-law, and their two kids drove in, um, and they got to spend a week in Gatlinburg. Hey, that sounds awesome. We've done that with family before and brought my uh, parents and my married kids and the grandkids, and I mean, that's just an awesome vacation. So uh, toward the uh, end of it, the last day, uh, some of the kids started getting sick. And then the next day, all the kids were getting sick. And so it's gone around. So uh, we're going to give him a pass. And I had this lesson that uh, needs to be taught. And uh, it really is just a one personal lesson anyway. So I thought I would go ahead and use that. Now, um, I'm going to give him a hard time as you know, the real reason you didn't want to show up is that we have this uh, joke um, competition planned. All right, we're going to start out with a, a joke and this podcast and let you guys see who has the best joke. And I think he's just uh, not up for the competition. Uh, that's what I think. So anyway, um, he will uh, take that as a challenge. So we'll see next time we get together how that goes. So this is going to be on the King James Bible inspiration. Okay. And uh, this is a topic. This is a big issue and it's not over. It's not done. I just heard this week um, at a conference, people talk about it. So this to me was brought up in um, 2008. Eight, I believe it was. And uh, I went to Howells Anderson College. Uh, Jack Scott was one of my teachers. And my son was either junior or senior. I think it was a junior that year. And he was planning on going to Howells Anderson College. And we were at pastor school. And this book was passed out on a Monday night. Okay, Independent Baptist, where are we going? This book was passed out on Monday night. Well, Monday night, I went back to the hotel and I read it. It wasn't a long read. 
But I got to page number 84 and 85, and I said, oh boy, this is going to be big. This is going to cause trouble. And he talked about the King James Bible controversy. And so um, at Monday night when I read it, I thought, okay, this is going to be a problem. Um, but when I read that, it sounded like he still believed the King James Bible was perfect. He believed it was preserved perfect. I believed it was inspired perfect. Didn't really know and understand the issue that much, but uh, I believe that. And I wasn't going to fight him about that. On Tuesday, he taught on it, and boy, people were upset. People walked out, and here we go. For the first year, I defended him because he still believes it's perfect. Okay? Is it semantics? I believe it's inspired perfect. You believe it's preserved perfect. Okay. As long as we both believe it's perfect, I'm not going to fight you on that. And there ought to be able to be some disagreements inside of uh, Fundamental Baptists that uh, we give people grace and leniency if they don't say things exactly the way we do, but on the main points agree. Um, a year later, had a missionary contact me and said, Brother Baker, one of our missionaries we supported, you've got to hear the Bible study that Brother Scott just, uh, just taught on. He taught on Wednesday night what is preserved. Now, I'll be honest, that uh, tape wasn't um, given out freely. It wasn't uh, sold. Many of the Bible studies are um, put out where you can listen to them, and this one was not. But the missionary uh, helped me get a copy of that and listen to it. And what Brother Scott said was the only thing that is preserved are the originals, not the King James Bible. The originals in the museum in England. Like, okay, <laughs> we're not saying the same thing. And later he taught at a conference. He said, uh, the King James Bible is perfect like my hand is perfect. It has five fingers on it, but it has flaws. My hand has flaws on it, just like the King James Bible does. I'm like, well, okay, we are not saying the same thing anymore. And so because of that, I have 11 children, and uh, I went to Bible college there, got two degrees. My wife did, got two degrees. My brother did. Uh, Ten of her brothers and sisters did, and her parents did. And I'm like, okay, that's where we're out of, and I need to know this issue and how big it is. So I started studying it and felt like I had a, a decent understanding on inspiration. And so the next year pastor school, I was still there. The issue was still going on. Um, one of the assistant pastors and I were talking. He said, Brother Scott would talk to you. I said, okay, uh, tell him I'd like to talk to him. So secretary called me during a break and said, Brother Scott will see you. And I said, okay. So I ran to the office and we had a good conversation in his office for probably 20 minutes. And what you're going to hear in this teaching is what I talked to him about. At the end of this, he said, Dave, I've not heard all that. He said, thank you for coming to me with that. Thank you for coming with the attitude and humble spirit in which you have. He said, Dave, let's talk again. I said, great, thank you. And so, man, we left out of there, handshake, it was good. I immediately called my brother. My brother's a pastor of an independent Baptist church, First Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Iowa. Don't dump on him just because he's my brother. He's a good guy. Um, but um, I called him and I said, Dan, I might be able to help this situation. I mean, fundamentalism blowing up and Brother Scott sees this as truth and can understand that. I might be able to help. I'm a nobody. I know that. But boy, if I could help this thing not to blow up, boy, that would be really great. And um, I mean, immediately called him. You can, he could vouch for that. Um, so a couple weeks later, after pastor school and recovery was over, I called and called and called. And the secretary said, I don't know why he's not taking your call. Try emailing him. So I emailed him and emailed him and emailed emailed him and he never took my email and never took my call. I didn't understand why. We had a good conversation. He said, let's talk again. And then I got a letter, a six-page letter, 
from Brother Scott, <laughs> calling me everything in the world. And he said, when you were in my office during pastor school and when you raised your voice and yelled at me and when security had to come in and see if everything was okay, I'm like, what? <laughs> that, this, that didn't happen. That was not how our conversation went. And then I realized, okay, this letter is not written for me. It's written to me, but it's not written for me. This is written to all the people that he's going to send it to in order to make me look bad and to put himself up. Okay, and then, like the Bible says, a heretic after the first or second admonition, reject. And I said, God, you've got him. I'm done. I tried to help, and we pushed away. It was hard. I was, uh, like I said, two degrees there, Mr. Highlander there, uh, lots of friends there, our guest speakers, they canceled on me, and it was a big deal, and it was, it was hard. They threatened to take my degree away, and I said, uh, I said, if your name was on my degree, I would have already sent it back. And Dr. Jack Kyle's name is on my degree. And um, they threatened to take me to the Deacons. I said, please do. I said, just give me an opportunity to explain to them the truth of this. It, it got pretty bad. I put a website up, hacalumni.com, just to share and let people know, hey, this is the truth. The Bible study that he taught, uh, what is preserved is there. It's in archives now. It's still there, but it's not promoted. I'm not trying to stir all that up. But if somebody wanted to go back and read those, it's still there. All the letters, all the communication, uh, everything is there. The articles that were written. There's a lot of good information as far as knowledge goes. If you have... Um, uh, understanding or want to know more about that. But is the King James Bible inspired? This lesson here is literally what I went into his office and talked about and believe it can be a help to everybody who truly, sincerely wants to know that. So, went in, sorry, Brother Scott, I said in English class, by the way, Brother Scott was an English teacher. By the way, I struggled or questioned, do I mention the name? Everyone knows what I'm talking about. And in the Bible, when it was doctrinal issues, Paul uh, called him my name, Demas, Alexander the coppersmith, Hymenius, uh, Alexander, they, they, were, they were mentioned by name. Now, the person that fell uh, is commonly reported one among you, it was his name was never mentioned. And so when the scop was going in error, doctrinal error, I stood against him, like Paul did to Peter, to his face. Um, when he fell, then I wrote him to encourage him and to help him. Like the Bible says, if someone is fallen, um, overtaken in a fault, you which your spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And it's amazing, most guys were wrong both times. When he was in doctrinal error, they were for him. And when he fell, they had nothing to do with him, which is literally, biblically, is the total opposite. But that's another topic. So I mentioned the name just so you don't try to have to guess or think, oh, I'm trying to avoid it. It was an issue, biblical, and we discussed it and talked about it like many times in the Bible did. So Brother Scott, he's an English teacher. I said, you guys taught us in English class. Before we look up anything, look at the root of the word, okay? I'm going to give you six ways to define inspiration, okay? Six ways to define inspiration. And to me... I'm not a scholar, but if you listen to this, I think you have to go, you know what? That does make sense, okay? And if it doesn't, email me and let me know. Tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> I've had that before. Um, as a business cop in English, you guys taught us, before we ever look up anything, look at the root of the word, okay? Take away the suffix, take away the prefix, look at the root of the word, and that will give you a good definition of the word, okay? And I still do that to this day. I'd never heard that before, but it makes sense. We had to learn all these Latin roots and Greek roots and, and uh, roots of the word. So the root of the word, inspiration, okay? Take away the prefix, in, suffix, uh, T-I-O-N, and what do you have? S-P-I-R, spirit, okay? So all scripture is given by the root word, spirit, Okay, inspiration. The root word of inspiration is spirit. Anybody argue with that? Nope. 
ding. Number one, the root word of inspiration is spirit. So if it's defined all scripture is given by inspiration, then all scripture is given by what? By the spirit. That's number one. Number two, so Brother Scott, you guys taught us before we look it up anywhere else, look it up in the Bible. Uh, what's the best commentary on the Bible? the Bible, all right? Find other scripture that is related to that topic and look at that and that will shine light on it. The Bible is the best commentary on itself. Amen? Everybody with me so far? Yes, okay. So are there any other verses that talk about how we got the Bible and that talk about inspiration, how it was given to us, okay? Um, they always say, use a simple verse to help explain a hard verse, all right? Second Peter 1.21, for the, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but, listen carefully to this, holy men of God spake. Who spake? Oh yeah, God did. God breathed. That's not what it says. Okay, we'll get into this more. But please listen carefully to the words. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the big problem with the whole thing of inspiration comes from the definition of God breathe. Don't throw me away yet. We're going to get into that a little deeper. But we look at this, yes, God breathed scripture, okay? The God breathed book, the Bible, and everyone believed that. That was the definition that we used. The problem is that is not the Bible definition for that, and we'll show you that. Here it says, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the, who? Holy Ghost. So the first way, root word, is spirit. All scripture is given by the spirit. The second one, compare scripture to scripture, the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So how did we get this prophecy? How did we get this Bible? By the Holy Ghost, okay? Number two, check, by the Holy Ghost. Number three, then you guys taught us, look it up in a good dictionary. By the way, everything I'm telling about this cop, he's nodding and smiling because he knows that's what we were taught, okay? Um, and so look it up in a good dictionary, okay? So please understand, whoever defines the words control the world, okay? How are these words defined? And it matters. Um, as we see, definitions are changed all the time, all right? The definition of gay 100 years ago, gay, merry, airy, jovial, supportive, uh, frolicsome, uh, fine, showy, as in a gay dress. Or it said a vulgar use of the term in America is inflamed or merry with liquor, intoxicated. That was used for gay, a vulgar use of the term. Gay now, I'm not going to read that definition, but is it different? Yes, okay. Whoever controls those words, the definition of the words controls that. Marriage, what's the definition 10 years ago? Okay, uh, the act of marrying, the state of marriage, legal union of a man and a woman for life, husband and wife, wedlock, matrimony, okay? That was the definition. What's the definition of America now? according to the Supreme Court and in the, uh, in the uh, new dictionary definitions, a relationship between two people who are husband and wife or in a similar relationship between two people of the same sex, okay? That's not the biblical definition of marriage, but that is, as of today, the legal definition of marriage in the United States of America. We don't accept that because we accept the what? The biblical definition, am I right? Okay, we're gonna accept the theological, biblical definition, not the world's definition. We understand that. All right, in marriage. And so when you are looking up a word, you have to make sure that you're getting the theological or Bible definition, not just a definition. For instance, one more definition before we go into inspiration. The word saved. What's the def definition of the word saved? I looked up in dictionary, here it is. To rescue or deliver from danger. 
Is that theological Bible definition for safe? No. Uh, to guard from injury, destruction, or loss? No. To store data on a computer or a storage device? You save the document. Is that a theological definition? No. None of us would use that, okay? Um, to keep from being lost to an opponent, to prevent an opponent from scoring or winning, okay? The hockey goalie, the, the soccer goalie, how many saves did he have, okay? That's not people being saved. That's not a theological definition. And then there is this one, to deliver from sin, to save from hell. There you go. Ding, ding, ding. That is the theological definition. No one would use any of the other ones. Those are secular. It's the word save, but used in a different context. To use it theologically or biblically, we would say to deliver from sin, to save from hell. Okay? Now, inspiration. Please listen carefully. You can look this up yourself. Webster's 1828 Dictionary. The definitions of inspiration. Okay? The first one says, the act of drawing air into the lungs, the inhaling of air, a branch of respiration as exposed to expiration. Is that secular or theological? <sighs> Drawing air into the lungs. There's nothing theological about that, okay? But that's the definition people use. Breathe, okay? That's not the theological definition, just wait. Number two, the act of breathing into anything, okay? You're breathing into something, a balloon, someone uh, given CPR, okay? Is that a theological definition? No. Okay, the act of breathing into anything, all right? That, again, is a secular definition. How about this one? The infusion of ideas, and by the way, I would say words. Webster had his own Bible, and back in this day, they were debating verbal inspiration or idea inspiration, okay? He had ideas. I think it would be words. But the definition is this. The infusion of ideas into the mind by the Holy Spirit. Divine, supernatural um, influence. Uh, and then it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, 2 Timothy 3. It says that in Webster's 1828 dictionary. It gives the verse, 2 Timothy 3. So, is that a theological Bible definition? Yes. The infusion of ideas, again, I would say words, into the mind by the Holy Spirit. That is the theological definition. The other ones, infusion ideas by deities or pagans, uh, the infusion ideas by poetic spirit. Um, so why would you use breathe when the theological definition is infusion of ideas or words into the mind by the Holy Spirit of God? So definition number one, the root word, all scripture is given by spirit. Definition number two, compare scripture to scripture. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Okay, by the Holy Ghost. Same thing. Uh, now, definition number three, look it up in a good dictionary. Infusion of ideas or words in the mind by the Holy Spirit of God. Again, all scripture is given by what? The Spirit. Here's three, and they're all lining up. Spirit, not God breathed. So the problem is this. Back when God breathed was the definition, it fixed the modern debate they were having. Is it verbal inspiration or thought inspiration? So God breathed, and what we said is if it's God breathed inspiration, then it's word for word, not ideas or thoughts. Okay? And that definition beat that heresy. The problem is a wrong definition may beat one heresy but create more. So when Brother Scott in this book and others said the only things that are inspired are the words in which God breathed. God didn't breathe in English. God, wrote, God breathed in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. So therefore, those are the only things that can be inspired because those are the only languages God 
breathed. And logically, he's right. The problem is he has a wrong definition. The definition of, of inspired is not breathe. That's a secular definition. It's not in the root word. It is not in um, compare scripture to scripture. It is not in the English definition. Now, well, what about the Greek? Okay, you don't need the Greek to uh, define it, but let's look at it. The word, we all know it, theonoustos, okay? Inspired, theonoustos. So, theo, that's God, noustos. The root word, pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, listen carefully, was translated 322 times spirit. What? Pneuma. The root word, theonoustos, was translated 322 times spirit. 91 times it was translated ghost, like Holy Ghost. And one time it was translated life. You want to take a guess how many times it was translated breathe? None. It's a totally different word. Totally different word. What about the Greek? Okay, there's the Greek. Theonoustos. P-N-E-U-M-A, the root word. 322 times spirit, 91 times ghost, one time life, never breathe. Never be. It's a totally different word. Okay? Then, well, where do they get that from? Listen carefully to this, and we'll get into this more. We have many, many podcasts we'll do on the King James Bible. We'll get into this more, not time on this one. But where do they get it? From Strong's Concordance. Okay? Strong's Concordance, Theonoustos, 2315, New Testament, from 2316, and listen carefully, a presumed derivative of 4154. A presumed derivative of 4154. You look at 4154, it is P-N-E-O, not P-N-E-U, P-N-E-O, a primary word to breathe hard. By the way, it was never translated inspiration, never translated um, uh, in breathe at all. That word was always translated spirit or uh, ghost or life. Never translated breathe. But because Strong said a presumed derivative, presumed, okay, wrong. <laughs> it's, not 20, it's not 4154, a presumed derivative. It is 4151, P-N-E-U-M-A, a current of air, breath, last, uh, soul implication, superhuman, Christ spirit, the Holy Spirit, God spirit, divine, okay? Uh, 4151, P-N-E-U-M-A, translated spirit and ghost, and life. Okay? There it is. It's wrong. I tried to talk to my Greek professor when I was at the uh, uh, King James Bible Summit and tried to explain this to him. Oh, well, I don't understand. I don't understand. It's real simple. Okay? What is the root word? Theonoustos. P-N-E-U, not P-N-E-O. And pneuma was translated 322 times spirit. So here we go. Definition number one, the root word, all scripture is given by the spirit. Root word number, number two, compare scripture to scripture, uh, holy men of God moved, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. All scripture given by the Spirit. Number three, English definition, uh, infusion of ideas or words in the mind by the Holy Spirit of God. All scripture given by the Spirit. Number four, Greek, the word P-N-E-U, uh, translated 322 times Spirit. Again, all scriptures given by the Spirit. Okay, number five, these are ways to define a word, okay, to study, to show themselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be what? <laughs> ashamed, ashamed. And many people are ashamed because they got up and said the King James Bible is not inspired, but they didn't look up truly what inspired meant to be able to show, you know what, it is. Well, I don't believe it's inspired yet. Just wait. Please understand. We got to understand the definition first before we can say whether it's inspired or not. 
So now we do a systematic study of the word. We look up every verse in the Bible that talks about inspiration and see if that can shed some light on it, okay? All right, so big long study here. No, it's only twice it's used, okay? Real simple. The one we're using, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Okay, all scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, the only other time it's used, first mentioned, okay, law first mentioned, Job 32 verse 8. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. <laughs> Did you catch that? But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Amazing. The law first mentioned, the first time you look up inspiration, you get the definition inside of it. Inspiration, spirit in man. But there is a spirit in man, colon, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Systematic study of the word, guess what you have? All scripture is given by the Spirit. By the Spirit. The last one is this, pretty interesting. One of the assistant pastors at First Baptist, not use his name, the good guy, but got um, got sided with the wrong person and got in some issues. But uh, when we were talking about this, I asked him this. I said, okay. I was giving him these definitions on the phone before I went to that conference. And, um, and I said, okay, tell me, what is the study of the Holy Spirit called? I said, we know soteriology, study of salvation, eschatology, study of the future, uh, zoology, study of teenagers. Um, okay, I hope you're Smiling, okay, that's study of animals. Um, that's my little joke. Teenagers love it, by the way, <laughs> not really. What's the study of the Holy Spirit called? Okay, you ready? Study of the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology. The study of spiritual beings phenomena within Christianity, the, the theological study of the Holy Spirit. One person within the Christian testimony, pneumatology. Wow. The same Greek root word is even in the word pneumatology. All scripture is given by the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? So, review. Do you got this? Root word, all scripture is given by the Spirit. Compare scripture to scripture. We have holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. All scripture is given by the Spirit. Number three, a good English dictionary definition. It's by the Spirit. Um, the words are given into the Holy, uh, from the Holy Spirit into the mind. And then number three, the Greek word is translated 322 times Spirit. Uh, and then number five, systematic study of it, Spirit in man, inspiration, all Scripture given by the Spirit. And then the study of the Holy Spirit is called pneumatology. Now, I don't know what else you could do to be able to define the word other than that. Six different ways to define the word, and every word, every way you can define it, it all came up by the Spirit. Inspiration, all Scripture is given by inspiration, meaning all Scripture is given by the Holy Spirit of God. So, the question is, is the King James Bible inspired? I was recently called out um, by a guy at a conference for what I just taught as being a kook, okay? If I'm a kook for believing this, all right, I'll wear it proudly. Um, and, uh, and it was said, oh, I said the King James Bible is inspired. I believe it is. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration. Now, here's a question to ask. Is the King James Bible Scripture? If it is not Scripture, fine. Then it's not inspired. But if it's Scripture, all Scripture is given by what? inspiration. Now again, not God breathed, 
not audible to the translator. Listen carefully. I do not believe God audibly spoke to the translators. Okay? By the way, I don't even know that God audibly spoke to every writer in the Bible. We know he did to Moses, but did God tell Moses even? God in Moses, right? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Did God audibly speak every word of that to him or through the Holy Spirit of God? Did God speak those to him like Peter says, okay? We know God spoke audibly to him sometime, but did God audibly speak to every writer, all 40 in the, uh, in the Bible? Or was it through the Holy Spirit of God? So I do not believe that God spoke audibly to the King James Bible translators in Hampton Court. I don't believe that. And I've never met anybody that has. Now, there may be people that that do, and that's fine. I don't have to believe or follow them. So but is the King James Bible inspired? If the King James Bible is Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration, then the King James Bible would have to be inspired. Now, if you don't believe the King James Bible is, is Scripture and it's just a good translation, that's fine. You can believe that, okay? I believe the King James Bible is Scripture, and I, I believe it's inspired by the definition. So here's the question. Please listen here. Where Before you say, oh, he's a heretic, he's a heretic. Please listen. Did the Holy Spirit help the translators know which words to use and which manuscripts to use? Did the Holy Spirit help guide the translators to know which words to use and which manuscripts to use? I believe the Holy Spirit did. If the Holy Spirit did, then the King James Bible is inspired by the definition of inspiration by the Holy Spirit of God. Oh, well, that's not how I define it. That's fine. You can define it as God breathed if you want to. That's just not a right definition. You show me biblically how you define inspiration by God breathed. Well, that's how we've always defined it. Okay, so it doesn't make it right. Biblically, you show me how you define inspiration by God breathed. Well, John R. Rice did. John R. Rice is a good man, but no man was perfect. Okay, <laughs> no man was. Uh, well, I've always heard it that way. Okay, what else have you always heard that was right that isn't right? There are many things that are that way. Okay, study it, look at it. If you want this outline, email me, uh, the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. I'll send you this outline, okay? Uh, you can have it, you can look at it, send it in PDF, study it. If you find something different, let me know. But by the biblical definition of inspiration, did God, did the Holy Spirit of God help the translators to know which manuscripts to use and what words to use so we can have a perfect King James Bible? I believe he did. Hence, therefore, the King James Bible is inspired not audible to the translators, okay, um, but through the Holy Spirit of God. And so um, I believe that's how we got our scripture. So, um, so for instance, okay, <laughs> most of the time the King James translators, when they translated, use manuscript evidence, okay, manuscript evidence to translate that. What does that mean? Uh, let's say you have a wreck and you've got um, 50 people who saw the wreck. Three people said it happened this way. 47 people said it happened this way. We go by the majority of the manuscripts. The majority of the people that saw it, 47 said it happened this way. That's what we go with. The preponderance of evidence, okay? That's what most of the time the translators did. If we have 500 manuscripts on Mark 16 and 480 agree with each other and 20 disagree, they would use the 480. Logical. Makes sense. It's the majority of of the manuscripts, okay? Majority text. Whatever the majority is, that's what we're gonna go with most of the time. The preponderance of the evidence is on one side. It's simple, that makes sense, got it? And what about this? First John 5, verse seven. 
Okay, there are three that bear record of heaven, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. It's a big deal. That verse has changed in all the new Bible. That verse has changed in the uh, other Greek. Uh, that verse is not in the, quote, oldest and best manuscript. Old, but not best. Of the 4,800 manuscripts that they had, 501 contained 1 John 5, 7. 501, listen carefully. 501 contained 1, uh, contained 1 John 5. Only 10 of them had 1 John 5, 7, called the Johan comma, okay? Only 10 out of 501. And guess what the King James translator decided to use? Listen carefully. The minority manuscripts. Only the 10 that had it. Why did they do that? You tell me. Uh, they liked it. They believed it. Or did the Holy Spirit of God tell them that scripture put it in? If the Holy Spirit helped guide the translators to go with the minority instead of the majority of 501 manuscripts that had 1 John 5 and it, only 10 of them had 1 John 5, 7. But yet, it's in the King James Bible. Pretty amazing. Did the Holy Spirit help them decide that? If so, according to the definition of inspiration, the King James Bible is inspired. Does that make sense? Am I a kook to believe that? Okay, if you say yes, fine, that's okay. Uh, I, I, I'm all right with that. But logically, biblically, based on the definition, now this may be you to you and you're shaking your head. Go back to it again. Listen to it again. Get the outline. Look it up for yourself. Okay, look up all these things and see. Start first with what is the definition of inspiration? All scripture is given by the Spirit. Okay, did the Holy Spirit help the translators to know what word to use? or to know what manuscripts to use. If they did, then the, by definition, the King James Bible is inspired. That's not kooky. The same people that will say I'm a kook for believing that say the King James Bible is perfect without error, in, inerrant. How did it get to be inerrant? By humans? Tell me that. You translate the Bible from all these different manuscripts and somehow we have an inerrant Bible and man did it. Really? Okay. You can believe that if you want to. I'm going to believe the Holy Spirit helped guide the translators so we could have a perfect, without error, Bible. And if I'm a kook for that, <laughs> then that's okay. All right. So um, uh, I'm going to mention one other thing, and this will just set up for the next um, podcast. We have a few minutes, and it won't be the next one, probably back to back, but one we will get into. In that uh, teaching at this King James Bible Conference, like I said, I was called a kook for believing what I just taught, okay? That last part of it, he quoted the last part of what I said, that uh, the King James Bible is inspired um, uh, because the Holy Spirit helped guide the translators, okay? And for that, I'm called a kook. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Evangelist Gary Mann at a King James Conference did that, and he called me out by name, called our college out, uh, this so-called online Bible college, okay? And he called us out, and that's okay. Um, but in his questions and what he was talking about, I would like to give a question or a challenge. The whole thing has always come down to what is the authority? One of the things that they said, and by the way, <laughs> when I went to Bible, and I love House Central College, I learned so much. I thank God for it. It's a great foundation, but no person is perfect. No place is perfect. When I was there, I was taught there's one perfect English Bible, that's the King James Bible, and there's one perfect Greek, and that's the Texas Receptus. And they agree perfectly. Amen. <laughs> 
I'm I'm taught. Then you get out in the real world and you realize, whoa, okay, that's not, I don't have time to go into how I almost became a liberal using a new American standard. That's for another story. Um, But it was because of, I did not get a full understanding of what it really was. The Greek the text receptus. I knew the text receptus, okay? The text receptus was the right Greek. The Westcott and Hort, the Nussel Alon, the Kurt Metzger, none, that was Kurt Alon and Metzger. That was not the right Greek. The text receptus was. And, but then, which one? Which one? During the King James Summit, really interesting, I went and, uh, and they had a question answer time. I wrote some questions out, but the Scott never called on me, but I was sitting on the second row. And so he went through some of my questions. You know, I don't understand what you're saying. I said, real simple, what Greek do you use? That was the question. I don't understand what you're saying. What Greek do you use? He said, I don't understand the question. I never defined it different. I just kept asking the same questions. He knew what I was getting at. What Greek do you use? And he said, text receptus. And, um, and I said, which one? If you could have seen the look on his face, he got this smile and stepped back and he said, a lot of them and then turned around and went away. Like, oh, you know there's more than one Texas Receptus because most people don't. The Texas Receptus, they think, is just one manuscript and it is the Texas Receptus and that's it. I would like to ask people, and Gary Mann, that, um, that set him a kook for believing this, um, which one is the authority? The first time I heard the question or the thought when someone said, the King James Bible corrects the Greek, <laughs> I laughed. That's so silly. Why do people believe stuff like that? The King James Bible is perfect English. The King, the text receptus is a perfect Greek, and they agree. There is no correcting of it. And how can the English correct the perfect Greek that it came out of? Make sense? That's what I thought. Until you realize there's a whole lot of different Greek. So, which Greek is perfect? Here's my question. Which Greek manuscript is perfect and without error. I'll say the King James Bible is, which Greek is? Oh, the Texas Receptus. Which Texas Receptus? The Erasmus, the Beezer, the Elzevir, the Stunica, uh, the Stevens, the Scrivener, which Texas Receptus is the perfect Greek? I, I, I don't know, okay? How about this one, okay? This is the uh, Scribner. This is the one I was given in Bible college. This is a back translation done in 1880 from the King James Bible. Before they did the revised version, they wanted to know what the Greek manuscript was that was underneath the King James Bible. So they did a back translation of the King James Bible and put this together. And this is the most accurate Greek, but it disagrees with the King James Bible at least 20 times. Okay, here's the question. Which one is right? When this disagrees with the King James Bible 20 times, is this the authority? Or is the Bible the authority? I would say the Bible is. So if the Bible, if the King James Bible is the authority, then we could say the King James Bible corrects what? Hello. Corrects the Greek. This disagrees with the King. This is the best one. This is a back translation of the King James Bible done in 1880. We need to get back to the Greek. Excuse me. This is done in 1880. King James Bible was 1611. If we're going to get back to something, why don't we get back to the King James Bible? Okay, which is the authority? When this disagrees with the King James Bible, when this Scribner's Greek New Testament done in 1880 disagrees with the King James Bible, which is right? I would believe the King James Bible is right. Do you? Well, yes, then listen carefully to what you believe. You believe the King James Bible corrects this Scribner's Greek. Well, I, I guess I do. If you don't, then you believe the King James Bible is wrong and this is perfect. Or which one is perfect? How about this one? This one's uh, Metzger's um, 
Aland, uh, uh, Kurt Aland, and uh, Bruce Metzger, and and so this is the critical text. Okay, this is the third edition. Uh, so is this one right? Oh no, no, that's what's not right. Okay, so if this disagrees with the King James Bible, then which one's right? Well, the King James Bible. So the King James Bible corrects what? The Greek. What's that hard? Uh, you're not a heretic. You believe the King James Bible corrects the Greek. Yes, because no Greek is perfect. And by the way, well, I think Erasmus is. Which one? What do you mean? Which one? There are five different Erasmus texts. The 1516, the 1519, the 1522, the 1527, 1535. Which one? Which one? Or, or maybe um, uh, the Stephanus or maybe the Elzer brothers in 1633. Which one? Uh, which Stephanus? Stephanus uh, had, uh, was uh, uh, four different ones of that, 1546, 59, sorry, 49, 50, and 51. Wh which one? Uh, which edition? The Stunica, 1520. Uh, the Beezer, uh, who edited it nine times between 1565 and 1604? Uh, 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 I don't know exactly. Please listen carefully. If the King James Bible is not the authority, then who's the authority? The Greek scholar. Well, um, in this verse, uh, the Biza has it correct. And in uh, this verse, the Stunica has it correct. And in this verse, uh, Erasmus, third edition, has it correct. Uh, and in this verse, so who's the authority? The Greek scholar. I'm sorry, that's not true. The Bible, the King James Bible, is the authority. We say, we believe, it's in our creed. The Bible is our authority in all matters of faith and practice, except when the Greek scholar disagrees. <laughs> is that what you believe? That's not what my, my uh, church covenant says. We believe the Bible. What Bible? The Bible we hold in our hand, the King James Bible, to be the authority in all matters of faith and practice. Do you believe that? Okay? Again, Gary Mann, I'd love to know. You tell me. Which Greek manuscript is perfect? Which one do you stand on that's inerrant without error? You said the King James Bible is inerrant in your speech, but yet... You criticize me for saying that the King James Bible corrects the Greek. It does, because there's no perfect Greek manuscript. There is not one. And I've never heard any Greek scholar claim that any of them are perfect. But the King James Bible is. So when the King James Bible disagrees with that Greek manuscript, because none of them are perfect, the King James Bible is right. So the King James Bible corrects the Greek. Okay? It really isn't that hard. It really isn't that hard to be able to understand. Well, no, those are just editions like the King James Bible. I understand edition of the King James Bible. Read David Reagan, the myth of the King James Bible editions. I understand that, okay? But we believe, everyone who stands the King James Bible, we believe the Bible, King James Bible is perfect, without error, inerrant, okay? We believe that. And according to the definition of inspiration, the King James Bible is inspired because the Holy Spirit guided the translator sometime to choose the minority manuscript only 10 out of 501, so we have 1 John 5.7, the strongest verse in the whole Bible for the Trinity. All right, as you can tell, we have probably stirred up, not one hornet's nest, but a few, and, um, and that's okay. I believe we need to discuss these, we need to reason concerning the scriptures, and to help people, because there are a lot of people who are messed up. A lot of people got rid of their King James Bible because of this dust-up, who did not get the right answers. And by the way, that would have been me years ago before this uh, if I did not get the answers from people who believed, who cared, who were sincere and true and real on this issue. All right. 
All right, so here you go. Send me your questions and your hate mail to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast at gmail.com. If you want more information, okay, and you'd like to take this um, two different ways. If you want it for credit, and go to ibaptistcollege.org and take the King James Bible class. Okay, I think it's called Introduction to the King James Bible. It's not an introduction, it's a, a full course on the King James Bible. You're gonna get all the questions answered. Where was the Bible before 1611? What about the other English versions? All those things we're gonna go deep into, okay? And you'll enjoy that. Um, if you want it for credit, you can go there. If you want it the cheap way, okay, because I'm not trying to get any money on this. If you uh, wanna go the cheap way, you can go to our Bible Institute. It's the same course, it's only $49, okay? the whole college course. Um, and so go to Family Baptist Bible Institute. I'm probably getting in trouble from the college president for giving away the cheap version, but uh, uh, familybaptistbibleinstitute.com uh, and uh, start here and then you can go get the same introduction to the King James Bible and take the course. And it will answer these and many more questions that you have on the King James Bible. It's only 49 bucks, okay? And so um, and that just pays for us to be able to host to do the things that we do. All right, let me know what questions that you have. And I hope this helped in this issue of is the King James Bible inspired? And for uh, Gary Mann and uh, others out there who believe that, I would love to know which Greek is perfect, okay? Which Greek is perfect? Which one? I would love to know. Um, by the way, I want to close everyone with this. It's a great thought, and um, so much of what we do and believe on this Fundamental Baptist podcast are to fix the enemies of soul winning. And this is true, too. When you don't have the confidence that you have the Word of God, we are not as quick and apt to share it with other people. And so here's a phrase I think I want to close with. I talk about this in our church all the time, and here it is. There are so many people out there that want to know how to go to heaven. They just need someone to tell them hey, let's take this King James Bible and go share it with somebody. I promise you, there are so many people who want to know how to go to heaven. They just need someone to tell them. Go tell them. God bless you. We'll talk to you next time.